Hello, my name is Ray Montgomery. I'd like to welcome you to the Navigating Blindness podcast. And on today's show, I have our personal management instructors at our Center for Visionary Solutions for the Blind on the show today to really inform us about how they are teaching individuals who are newly blinded how to live independently, teaching them them personal management skills such as cooking, cleaning, and just being able to maintain, you know, their selves and their independence. So I want to welcome you ladies today on the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Great. All right. Great. Very good. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. All right. I want to start with you, uh, Kathy. Um, Kathy, um, could you tell us how long you've been working as a um, teacher of the blind and visually impaired and at Bosman Enterprises? Um, sure, Ray. I've been working with Bosma for about 30 years okay. um, with some time off um, at times to raise my family, um, but uh, approximately 30 years. Okay. And Connie Michaels, how you doing? I'm doing great. All right, Connie, how long have you been uh, working uh, with people who are blind or visually impaired and at Bosma Enterprises? I think I started in 1992, and I'm kind of like Kathy. I worked for 10 years. I took a little time off uh, with my son, and then I came on and have worked in a couple of different capacities. I was an employment specialist, and I was an IRT teacher, but for the most part, I've worked in the area of personal management. Okay. Now, when we talk about personal management, and I'm going to uh, throw this question to you, Kathy, what is personal management? Basically, personal management are um, skills of daily living, such as, like you said, Ray, cooking, cleaning. Um, we cover medication management, laundry um, organization in your home, labeling techniques, money identification, um, all of those skills needed to just be independent in your home. Okay. Connie, would you have anything to add to, uh, that? No, I mean, that, uh, that pretty much sums it up. We will talk a little bit about time and telephone and sometimes there's a crossover uh, between uh, technology in, but sometimes it is just uh, the simplest thing that like a bump dot that can be helpful for a person. Yeah, talk, talk to me about the, uh, the adaptations that are made to a person's kitchen you know once they um, lose their sight what type of things can they do around their home to make it more accessible for them? Um, well, uh, one thing is contrast. So, and lighting. I think a person could have better lighting in their kitchen. Uh, it can help them if they have low vision and to have better color contrast can sometimes be helpful. If you have a dark table, then you might con uh, consider having a light colored placemat. And it's always nice to have magnification available if that's helpful for you. That bump dot that, that, bump dot that you uh, specifically talked about, 
Uh, that bump, bump dot is really very, very handy. That small little dot can make a world of difference. So tell me how useful that dot is and where do, do these dots actually go within the kitchen or around a person's home? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. We have a lot of bump dots in the kitchen here at Bosma. And a bump dot is a small bump that has sticky on the back that you can mm-hmm. place in different areas. And one example would be on your microwave. Maybe you have an express cook on your microwave. So you could put a bump dot on the one minute express cook or the add 30 second button or the start button. And it will help a person to be able to locate that button and enter in the time that they would like. We have bump dots on our stove and oven. And there, and we have bump dots on our refrigerator door where the water and the crushed ice and the cubed ice are so that a person can locate not only the ice, but the crushed ice to be able to make their own choices and use them by themselves. And Kathy, could you talk to me about just the different type of equipment that we have at our Center for Visionary Solutions for the Blind. So when a person comes in and we're training them, that we're training them on things that they already have in their home, such as those stoves and gas and electric. Talk about some of the equipment that we have in our center. Sure. Um, We do have um, some, some specialized aids that we use for teaching. Um, For example, if we are doing a flipping lesson, uh, we will, we will show our students how to use a double spatula possibly to assist with making sure that the item that we're flipping really gets flipped. Now talk, uh, before you go on, talk to me about that. What does that look like for our audience who may, you know, not, that does not have any vision, like a double spatula. You know, we can get the regular spatula at the store, but what is a double spatula? Sure. The double spatula, if you picture a pair of tongs, mm-hmm. um, except on the end where the tongue, the end part of the tongue would be, there would be a double spatula there. Um, So you can squeeze this together to make sure, for example, if we're frying a hamburger, we can scoop underneath the hamburger with the bottom part of the spatula, and then we can squeeze it together and kind of lift it up and we can feel that we have the hamburger in between the two spatulas and then we can flip it and make sure that it stays in the pan and make sure that we actually did get it flipped. That's a great tool. I wish I still had one of those because I've been cooking sausage for years and they fall off my uh, spatula at times. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wish I had one of those, but you guys got a lot of A's and you got the uh, the pot that has the holes in top. Talk to me about that, the pot with the holes that helps a person, you know, not burn themselves when they're draining their uh, food and stuff. Yes, yes. We, we call that, uh, some people call it a pasta pot. Uh, usually we call it here at Bosma the locking lid pot. You're absolutely right. The lid has strainer holes uh-huh. and the lid can actually lock on 
so that when we're cooking food like pasta or vegetables and we need to drain the water off of the pasta, we just lock the lid on mm -hmm. and then we can drain it without using a colander or strainer in the sink. So it's very, very helpful mm -hmm. to use that locking lid pot. We work a lot with people on safety techniques and determining the safest way to do things without vision or with limited vision. Another really useful tool or item that we use in the kitchen are the elbow length oven mitts. Yes. So it's a, a oven mitt that comes up basically to your elbow. So when you're placing or removing things from the oven, it protects your whole arm. Those come in very handy. And right now with summertime, you know, here and people want to get out and grill and things like that, it'll come in handy for a lot of people. Yes. You know, and, and things like that. So but when, when a client comes to our center for visionary solutions, um, talk to me about like training them on cooking and some of their fears and hesitations they have when they're cooking first for the first time without any sight. You know, students who are, are newly blinded do have a lot of fears when it comes to being in the kitchen and, and of course, cooking, because there are a lot of possible hazards in a kitchen, you know, possible hot appliances, hot ovens, hot stovetops. So there, there are a lot of fears to kind of get back into the kitchen and doing all of those things for the first time. I think a little bit of fear is not a bad thing. I think that helps people concentrate and take seriously what they're doing in the kitchen. And with a little training and a little practice, Usually people build upon their skills and their confidence and and can overcome those fears. How long does you think it takes a person to gain some type of confidence in cooking and, you know, wanting to serve their family and friends? Does it take a long period of time, maybe a couple of weeks to get used to being in the kitchen again? Or do they kind of gravitate towards it? I think it kind of depends on the person mm -hmm. and their previous maybe cooking experience. But I would say usually it might take a couple of weeks to, to maybe a month, you know, to practice those skills and to gain that confidence. So we, when we're talking about uh, cooking, I know there are uh, different techniques to know when they, when your food is ready. Since I can't, physically see the food how does a person know when their food is ready that's a very good question that's actually i think connie one of the biggest questions that we get here at bosma yes is if i can't see my food how am i going to determine when it's done and we usually say that there's three ways to determine doneness and sometimes we use all of these ways. One way is timing. One way is by kind of determining the texture of the food. 
like a grilled cheese sandwich. We can scrape it on top and we can feel that it's toasty and we can hear that it's toasty. And also we can smell the food that's cooking. But the third way is using a talking meat thermometer. So if it's meat we're cooking, uh, we need to make sure that that food is cooked up to the proper temperature. Otherwise, it can be a very dangerous safety issue. Yeah. We want to make sure the food is cooked properly. Oh, you definitely don't want to serve people raw pieces of meat. They won't, they won't be happy right. for right there. Right. So what, what about like cutting you know, vegetables and things like that? How does a person who cannot see you know, cut safely, you know, on a chopping cutting board and stuff like that? So it does depend a little bit on how much vision a person has, uh, what types of adaptive aids that we might introduce to them that could be helpful. And one of the low vision aids that we have available is a color contrast cutting board. So it's black on one side and white on the other side. So if you wanted to cut an onion, you might choose to put it on the black side and, and the onion would pop out and be uh, you'd be able to see it possibly a little better. And, and also if it was, let's say a green pepper, they might choose to put it on the white side. So whatever they could see the best, but Kathy is right that we do talk and focus a lot on safety. So there are gloves that are cut resistant uh, and uh, also finger guards that are available. So if a person was going to do some chopping or cutting and slicing, they might take the hand that's going to hold the food and put a cut resistant glove on it. And then that way, as they cut, if the knife were to get close to their finger, it wouldn't cut their finger. But also to teach them to hold things in such a way that their fingers are pulled back and using the appropriate knife. There are knives that have slicing guides attached to them. These knives can be very sharp and there are definite techniques on using them that are the safest. And what I like to do is not only show a technique, but then provide feedback while a person is trying to practice with it, letting them know what I think that they're doing well and other things that I think, oh, you maybe could improve on this by uh, holding it in this different way. So we have uh, knives with slicing guides, color contrast cutting boards, cut resistant gloves, and there are even finger guards that is almost like a ring that you put on your middle finger, but it covers uh, your fingers up. And then as you're cutting with it, uh, if the knife were to hit that, it would just slide down and continue to cut the whatever it is that you're chopping up. And we might suggest that a person could purchase things already cut. Like if you go to the freezer aisle, now you can actually purchase cut on pre-cut onions mm -hmm. and pre-cut green peppers. Oh. So there's a lot of products like that out there that are already cut for you. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> not no, at all. not at all. So um, 
another aspect of personal management is really just being able to maintain your home, maintain your independence. How, because I get this a lot, how, how do you sweep? How do you mop? How do you, how do you make sure that the floor and the counters are clean? You know, if you can't see them, I know I touch a lot of things, so I have to touch things I don't may not want to touch, but <laughs> touch is right. touch is key when you you know you actually can't see it. So when you're sweeping in your home, what kind of techniques does a person who cannot see? Well, what kind of techniques um, there are specific patterns with cleaning, especially like if you use an example of sweeping a floor, um, knowing the area that you're going right. to clean is very important picking things up off the floor, like your shoes and putting them to the side or in a closet and having the, the space somewhat organized right. so that if you know there's a throw rug, you're not going to be sweeping on that throw rug. You're going to want to place that somewhere else while you're sweeping that floor. And then having an idea in your head how you want to uh, proceed with the floor. Like uh, sometimes you work your way from the back of the room mm -hmm. and, and out the door, so to speak. Right. And I tell people this, we're going to practice this. And I show them a couple of techniques, but most of the techniques involve sweeping the, the dirt towards your own feet. And you never want to sweep away from you because sweeping away from you, you don't know where the dirt is. Right. right. Uh, so you sweep it kind of towards you and try to keep track of where that dirt is. And then you step to the right or the left, depending on your space or mm -hmm. back, always sweeping that dirt towards you until you feel like you're at the uh, end of your space, kind of sweeping yourself out the door. When, you, when it comes to a broom and a dustpan, sometimes it's nice to have a small hand broom and dustpan to sweep that last little bit up into the dustpan. And if you hear something go into the trash can, then you know you were successful. You actually cleaned, you know, that dirt. But I do say sometimes, you know, maybe you could be more successful and we try to give, once again, provide feedback on what they might have missed. They didn't frame the area well, and so they missed some around the edges. Or they didn't overlap quite as much as they should, and so they missed some in, in the middle. And, and once we talk about those things and possibly practice a few times, then they start to feel like, yes, I was able to sweep that pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's the option of getting one of those electric rooms that sucks the dirt up as you sweep. Yeah, that might be a good option for me because. <laughs> yeah, they have so many options now. Yeah, yeah, you got so many options because when you're sweeping, you do have to double back. I mean, that's what I tell people. It takes me a little bit longer because I have to double back because I may just miss the spot. So I just, I may not even be sweeping nothing up, but I have to. <laughs> Just feel like I'm going back over it though. So I bet you do a great job. <laughs> I, I don't know. She may have something to say about it. <laughs> no, but I, I have my own technique. I, I got a technique <laughs> that I learned that I, I just usually just try to sweep it in a corner. Like everything goes right to the wall. Sweep it right to the wall. If it's an empty room, I just sweep it to the wall, then go against the wall. And then just sweep it up to the dustpan. Oh, I think that sounds like a good technique, yeah. depending on if you have one free wall. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a that seems like a good technique. 
So, so how do you guys, Captain Mathurus, you how do you know when your counters or tops are clean and your table is cleaned off if you can't, you know, see it? How do you, how would you, what advice would you give a person? I think you kind of said it, Ray, that a lot of it is touch techniques. Um, So we would try to be careful in the Bosma kitchen to kind of contain our mess to the countertop or to the island that we're working on, you know, so we're careful not to get anything on the floor. And if it's maybe crumbs or a dry mess, you know, we'll kind of sweep the crumbs off maybe into a a tray, uh, making sure that we have the whole countertop or the whole island covered, as Connie said, with kind of using a grid pattern. We would make sure that we got all kind of the dry debris off. And then we would go back and we would, you know, use a, our cleaner, you know, whether it's a, a wet wash cloth or it's some sort of sanitizing spray and, and clean it. And then sometimes what you have to do after it's all dried, <clears throat> you kind of just have to go back and, and feel it. One more time to make sure that you did get it all the way clean, that you cleaned off all the crumbs, and that there's no nothing sticky on there. Yeah, I know my children are always like, how do you know we didn't do a good job? Because I feel it. (laughs) I don't have to see that it's sugar. I can feel that there's something on this counter that you you missed right there. So, yeah. I I think, honestly, that you can actually by feeling it you you will even know better if it's clean or not then we might miss something with our eyes but if if you actually feel it you're gonna pick up anything sticky or oily or anything that's left yeah so really touches the key like really when you're vacuuming you got to make sure that you make sure everything is off the floor and there's nothing big that can be sucked up but that was one of my biggest issues. I would say vacuuming. I could, even when I lived alone, I mean, I knew I didn't have anything too much, but it always be that one small item that always used to get me. It could be a shoestring. And it always used to get oh, my vacuum. <laughs> yes, you got to make sure everything yeah. is picked up off the yeah. floor and all cords, you, you know, know, cell phone chargers are all picked up off the floor before you vacuum. Yes, I didn't broke many of fan belts. I had to learn how to do replace them after a while. <laughs> just that one small thing, like a be a little baby sock, could have broke everything down. But <laughs> it can burn up your vacuum. That's for sure. That is for sure. So at the end of the uh, client's um, term at our Center for Visionary Solutions, they have to cook a family meal. Talk to me about that family meal and what goes into them cooking this meal and how that boosts their confidence once before they leave our center? Most of our clients do want to have a family meal. They don't have to when they come to Bosma, but most of them really want to. So most of them do do the family meal. And it is a really good experience because, you know, we do some research on what 
type of meal they might want to cook. We might have to look up recipes for that particular uh, item. Um, after we have the recipe, we do a grocery list. So we'll write down all the items that we need for them to make this meal. And then they will go grocery shopping with our orientation and mobility teacher to get the items for their meal. They'll bring them back here to Bosma. We will kind of plan how much time that they need to cook the meal. Usually it involves some prep time, maybe the day before the meal. And then usually they're in the kitchen most of the, uh, the day that they do have the meal. Because of COVID, uh, we have not been able to invite family members in to come to the center for the meal. Our, our clients are still cooking the meals, but we're packing it up for them to take home to their family. It's, it's really a good opportunity because most of our lessons are working on techniques such as flipping or, or storing or determining doneness. So this is a way that they can actually put a whole meal together, which is very different. You know, when you have more than one thing to cook at a time, not only is it an experience with the techniques for cooking it, but also managing your time and knowing what to cook at what time so that the whole meal comes together and is done, you know, in their, uh, the appropriate amount of time. And lots of people have never done that before, mm -hmm. have never cooked like, the, like a whole meal before. So it's, and it's fun, you know, it should be a very fun experience and something that they're excited about cooking and shows their family to, you know, the skills that they have learned. Yeah, it definitely uh, showed their family that they have, they're able to live independently, that they're able to, you know, cook, feed themselves and, you know, take care of themselves. So it really kind of eases some of their, their burdens or fears that they may have for their family or friend who had just lost their sight. So yeah, definitely a good thing to do. And I know it's always smelling good when I walk by. So I know they're doing something right in there. Every time I come <laughs> by there, it's smelling really yumptious. So yeah. before I get you guys out of here, I just really want to touch on this real briefly about just labels and how Braille labels and just labeling uh, food and labeling your clothes, because I believe that's a very key aspect. Once you leave the house, you want to make sure that your clothes are matching. Even when you're a kitchen, you want to make sure that you're pulling out the right can of soup. So, Connie, what kind of tips, tricks can you uh, tell us or inform our audience about, you know, labeling clothes and how does a person who is blind label food, clothes, and other materials? Okay. Well, that's a great question. And, of course, if a person... Uh, does know Braille, or if they take the time to learn Braille while they're at the center here, then Braille can become a very good labeling tool. There's a Dymo tape that you can take and put Braille on a small piece of tape and then put that small piece of tape onto some kind of label. 
a lot of times you don't want to put it right on the product because you don't want to throw it away. So you might put it on an index card or mm. a little key tag and then put that rubber band that to whatever the product is. Um, there also are recording devices called label wand or a pen friend. And they're kind of a cool little labeling device where you can use your own voice to record on a sticker. And then that sticker can be placed on an index card or on some kind of a key tag to be rubber banded to a product. And that that can be very uh, helpful um, as far as labeling something. Um, Sometimes it's as simple as just putting a rubber band around something so that if you have shampoo and conditioner in your shower that if you just take a rubber band and put it around the shampoo then you can differentiate those two products and not use the conditioner first accidentally there's pen friend laundry labels and so when you get into labeling clothing it is a little bit harder um You can label clothing with Braille. There are Braille clothing tags that are made out of aluminum. And and for the most part, they have two Braille letters on them. Mm -hmm. So orange would be O-R or black would be, I think, B-K and blue is B-L. But then that doesn't give you anything real specific. It just will help you differentiate between my khaki pants and my black pants. But what if you have something that is print? is floral. Um, Sometimes people, uh, if they have certain uh, clothing, they can remember them because this one has this special collar and this one has these fancy buttons. And so they can remember them. But then there's always those few articles of clothing that are a little more difficult to identify because they're a little closer and then possibly they could use an app on their telephone like an app called be my eyes would have a person that would be able to help you as a volunteer they would look through the camera on your phone and be able to tell you that your you know striped shirt is on the left and you know this shirt here that you're holding up is your Hawaiian shirt and it has, you know, some flamingos on it or whatever is the case. Mm-hmm. There, there are some color identifiers out there. There's a colorino color identifier. I find it is pretty good with solid colors, but then it's those colors that are somewhere in between, you know, uh, there's, you know, a hundred shades of green. Yeah. And so Yes, you could say something's green, but is it emerald green or forest green or mint green or army green? And so if you wanted something very specific, once again, that uh, pen friend label wand would be a good way. Yeah. And I know, you know, nowadays we say there's an app for everything. So technology has really kind of equal some of the playing field because when I lost my sight in 97, I didn't have all, you know, these gadgets right now. But now you've got Ira. So now you can call an agent, even though, you know, it's a subscription behind Ira, but you can call this agent. They can tell you, you know, what your what shirt you're wearing today. Um, you can go see right. another good app. Um, so it's an app for everything. QR scanners that can read labels and tell you what products there are. So there's an app for everything. And if there's not an app, um, we've already talked about simple adaptation like a rubber band over the orange juice and not the milk. So I put right. a lot of... 
put a, I put a lot of orange juice in my cereal before I had the. <laughs> 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 they both looked alike before I learned. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, this is not uh, the Frosted Flakes I wanted this morning, nigga. He <laughs> <laughs> started something new. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now nah, it wasn't it wasn't that tasty. <laughs> But uh, yes, yes. But I, want now, to I thank believe you. the Ira app huh? is free for the first five minutes, yes. right? Yeah, first five minutes. So Ira if you have a quick question, it's actually a good resource. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before I get you guys out of here, um, I wanted to really just talk about how do people who are blind and visually impaired, how do they identify their money? Uh, what kind of tips and tricks can you offer a person to know what kind of bills they have in their billfold? We would use a talking money identifier to identify the bill uh-huh. and it may be one of those apps that you were talking about ray so most people can get a um, app on their phone to get a talking money identifier or we usually show them the i bill uh-huh. uh, which is a little small uh, gadget that has a slot in the front and you can insert the end of a bill into the slot and push a button and it will tell you the, the bill. After we identify what the bill is, then we would use a folding technique. For example, for a $1 bill, we would not fold. We would just put it in the wallet as is a five dollar bill we would fold in half crosswise a ten dollar bill we would fold in half lengthwise and then a twenty dollar bill would be lengthwise and then crosswise so when a person is using the folding technique they can simply reach into their wallet and feel the shape of the bill to determine what it is. Those are all great techniques. So there's not a special superhuman power that people who are blind are uh, equipped with right now to really identify their money. So I just really wanted to talk about that because I've always asked, how do you know what you got in your pocket and things like that. So Right, right. There's nothing on the bill itself. No. So it, it, you're right. There's no super power that you can just feel the bill and tell what it is. So you have to have one of those talking identifiers or have a family member tell you what it is and then use that folding technique to keep it organized in your wallet. So once again, I want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast today. And um, thank you guys for all you do to help individuals who are blind and vision impaired regain their independence once again and be able to cook, clean and live independently. Uh, So if you guys got any questions that you guys want to learn more about our Center for Visionary Solutions for the Blind, please visit us at Bosma.org. Make sure you're subscribed on all of our social media platforms and Definitely make sure you're subscribed to the Navigating Blindness podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on SoundCloud. And once again, thank you guys, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.